Roll it there, Roisin. Hello and welcome to the Neighbour Food Podcast. This week we are chatting to young urban farmer Marty, aka one of the gnomes. As you may know, this month we have been chatting to the next generations of food producers. Marty, a ripe 29 years of age, man for Dublin, discovered good food well for the taste. Now that's oversimplifying it, but we're going to get into that conversation in a minute. So, the gnomes. What a fun name that is, isn't it? Well, these guys are fun, definitely. They're full-spirited, they're super friendly. And what more could you say about these young farmers? They are three brothers, Ramo, Shane, Marty, and their lifelong friend, Jason. And together they are hosting a productive micro-urban farm on a quarter acre of a site on the grounds of Dublin City University Campus Garden. We speak to Marty, who told us his story of how it all came about, how this micro-urban farm has become such an integral part of the community and campus life, the people they meet, their methods of farming, and how their success is ever growing. Marty actually graduated in IT and engineering, and once all those exams were over and the books were put away, he was looking for a break from computers. It was built, as, as we say, a brick. And it was his buddy, Jason, who studied youth and community at the Liberties College, told him about a community employment position in horticulture in DCU's community garden. This is also where he was working and the ball just rolled on from there because Marty fell in love with growing. And along with his brothers and Jason, they negotiated some space from the DCU campus in a site that had been unused and overgrown. Now you can imagine this was a lot of back-breaking work at the start. But ever since 2019, they have been farming chemically free, non-GMO and bio-intensively on this quarter acre. How did they come up with the name The Gnomes? Let's start with that. Just messing about, we were doing videos in DCU's garden and um, it was myself and two friends, so we were just mischievous, you know. So when we were doing videos, you're like, yeah, you know, like kind of gnomes. So we just just stuck and that was about seven years ago, so. It just stuck. So before we even started the business, we were doing little funny videos. So we, ah, we just kind of kept the name. You you were uh, you were trending before TikTok. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, as old as Mar- Jack. <laughs> uh, Marty, can you take us? Um, can you take us back to to day one for you guys, or maybe even back slightly before day one, and explain to us? Actually, do you know what? Maybe first of all, can you explain to us what you guys are now? And then we go back. How about that? Yeah, so what we are now is we, the best way to describe, describe ourselves would be a regenerative market farm. So we're a group of farmers doing regenerative market farming. And um, we have a select crop. We have a, sorry, we have a detailed crop selection. So we're picking the, the highest value crops and we're growing on a quarter acre. And we're also doing microgreens in a dedicated facility. So they're growing all year round under nights in heat. So, um, yeah, over, over the few years, we've trial and error hundreds of different things. So you kind of have to whittle it down to what works because in farming, it's very easy to get carried away uh, with what you're doing. And it's very easy to get, you know, too much of a workload. So you have to whittle it down and go what works. And at the moment, it's a quarter acre market farm. There's regenerative techniques, no chemicals whatsoever, and, uh, and microgreens in a dedicated facility. Hmm. So that's it in a nutshell. What what's the output like at the moment? Like what what are we would we be expected to be eating if we were one of your customers? 
Yeah, well, at the moment, we're, we're operating the market farm seasonally. So we're operating from, say, April to October, November. But with season extension, like caterpillar tunnels or honey um, tunnels, you could have solid leaves all year round. And it's all in the time and it's all in the crop selection as well. Because scallions, for example, you can have, you know, 10 different varieties and some are more suitable for winter production and some are more suitable for summer production. Same with lettuce, same with radish. So if you pick the right varieties, you can have a good selection all year round. Uh, but specifically for us, all we'd have in stock at the moment or producing will be micrograins. Okay, but there's a nice scope there. And in the middle of the summer, in the heat of the summer, what, what, what would yeah, be? Yeah, in the summer, that's our full variety. So we've mm. got tomatoes, cucumbers, courgettes. We do some aubergines, uh, plenty of herbs, basil, parsley. We do baby root vegetables. And then our most popular products would be mixed salad leaves, likes of um, mixed lettuce, spicy mixes, rocket and mustard leaves. Spinach as well is very popular. Um, you were just uh, telling us all about the wonderful things that you're growing. What do you think real food um, is? What's your definition of real food? It's all to do with the soil. It really is. Because if you don't have okay. good quality soil, you don't have good quality nutrition in there. You know, it's all about soil biology because what's in there is what's available to the plants. And um, okay. if you don't have good soil biology, you're going to be using more chemicals because the plants are going to be weaker. And when you're using chemicals uh -huh. as well, it's affecting the soil biology. So that's going to weaken the soil condition. So you're going to have to use okay. more chemicals because they're going to be open. So the bad things in soil proliferate a lot quicker than the good things. So if you're at the damage in the soil using chemicals, well, then the bad things, they come on a lot faster and they, they eat, they burrow into roots. They do a lot of damage and stuff like that. So you're going to have to use chemicals. So our definition of real food is without chemicals because they're bad for the soil. They're bad for the plants. There's residues, you know, we know all about this. And then it's also you know, the, the, the nutrition in the plant as well. So there's, there's leaf tests that can be done uh, to say, you know, the amount of nutrition available in a particular crop, you know, so all the, mm -hmm. the minerals and micronutrients and stuff like that, they're degraded uh, in a lot of soils. So we would make sure that they're abundantly available in the stuff that we grow. So we're, hmm. yeah, that, that's it. So is it, is it organic farming that you're doing or, or I suppose organic principles really that you're, that you're working on? Yeah, well, again, that's hard to, um, it's hard to kind of pin down because there's a lot of organic farmers and they can use chemicals. They just have to be derived from an organic source, you know, and that mm -hmm. doesn't mean that they're necessarily good for the environment or for the plants. It's just kind of what works in their context. So we try, mm -hmm. we try and go with what's best for our context. We wouldn't be registered organic, but we definitely don't use mm -hmm. any detrimental chemicals, whether they're derived artificially or, or from organic sources. So um, mm -hmm. it, it, it is a bit of a minefield when people get into it and they go to like Lidler Aldi and they're like, they're selling organic veg so cheap. How can they do that? You know, so yeah. it's a bit of a, yeah. it's a bit of a misnomer, you know? So um, it, it is, it's a, it's a dodgy area when you start talking to people. So like we do a stall every week and we're explaining to people why it's different, you know, and why mm. it's different is so important because that connects directly to your good biome and your health and your mental health and all these things, you know? So. It is really important at the end of the day that you're producing good quality food. Mm -hmm. Why? Why Why do you choose to do this? Well, it's important, you know, I, I like to cook, you know, so I originally started um, growing a bit out in my back garden, cooking, you know, growing some herbs. Okay. And when you learn the flavors, the flavor is so much more intense. So you find out why is it more intense? You know, it's intense because the nutrition mm. in there is more dense. And that term nutrient density, you know, that's where that comes from because the flavor there, you can use your own taste buds as a kind of uh, litmus test, you know, so why does it taste this? Why does it taste better? Because the nutrition is mm. more, you know, available in it. It's more dense. You're tasting, nutri 
the nutrition in the leaf, you taste the nutrition in the tomato, you know, and then mm. you, you see what they're doing. They're trying to emulate that now with GMO tomatoes. They're trying to make them ripen up off the vine so they taste sweet, you know, and we have all this mm. artificial sweeteners and, and everything that we use, you know, and it's, it's just mm -hmm. taking responsibility for the food that you put in your body. And uh, it's, mm -hmm. it is very important and not to mention the food when it's traveling, it degrades, like that's the whole idea mm -hmm. with micrograins, the nutrition is mm -hmm. readily available. It's bioavailable. It's in high quantities. And then, um, you know, it, it just gives your body that much more, uh, you know, fuel to work with, you know, and improves everything, yeah. even your mental functions. Yeah. 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 That's for sure. Will we take it back? I'd love to actually know. So this series that we're doing is next generations, but mostly we're just looking at the kind of younger people who've ended up mm. getting into food production. And, and it's not that there's a, a huge amount of them, but there, there are more and more. Like I would say the last four or five years, you've seen a lot of sub 35 year olds, even sub 30 mm. year olds getting into food production. And Marty, as we said on the phone, often when you speak to older farmers or older food producers, they, their reason is nostalgia. Well, this is the way I, that mm. it was when I was a kid. And I, I just knew it was better and 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 that's being proved proven right but for our generation we didn't really have that nostalgia we grew up in the era of industrialized farming and industrialized food production yeah so for us there's other reasons for us there are different mm -hmm. motivations for getting back into this absolutely yeah. turning back the wheel and exploring different ways of approaching food can you give me a little bit of context for when you guys started when when was it what year yeah, so we started on a community employment scheme, so like a part-time job in DCU. I finished up in college. I was doing uh, IT and engineering, and uh, mm -hmm. a friend of mine, he was already walking down there ahead of me. So he said to me, look, there's a position going down in DCU, Dublin City University there, and I was like, yeah, cool, I'll take it for a year. I just wanted to get away from computers, you know, and head was melted, <laughs> as, as we say over here. So I said, look, I'll take the position. But once I get down to the garden and I see him, you know, I was already growing a bit of my own back garden, you know, so I had a bit of interest in it. And I was very interested in cooking as well at the time. So when I seen the garden, I just fell in love with the place, you know, and that was seven years ago. Really? So, yeah, yeah there was an old greenhouse frame. It looked like Jurassic Park. Like, I didn't know what I was getting myself in for. <laughs> it, was, it was a disaster. Like, every invasive weed known to man. If anybody no has ever grown, they know buying weed, they know scotch grass, buttercup, like, yeah. they had them in abundance. So, uh, yeah. and there's no way to get rid of those. Even chemicals don't work on bindweed. So you have okay. to take it out by hand. So we took a, took a quarter acre of bindweed out by hand because uh, access to land in Dublin Centre is just, you know, it's it doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah so, uh, absolutely. Yeah, so there's, there's 1.6 acres there in DCU working off a quarter acre. So it's been a process over the seven years of getting that into condition. So the first few years of just being on a part-time scheme was just, you know, where are we growing? You know, where are we growing? Because it was a horticultural program, you know, so they gave us a bit of education as mm. well. And after about okay. two or three years, we said, look, I I love doing this, you know? So I was like, we, we came up with our own business plan and model and I approached DCU and I said, look, this is what we can do with the land. And they said, sure, go ahead. It was wasteland for them. And, you know, really? gave them security at the end of the day because they had vandalism on the land. Okay. Mm. So was it not used by students in DCU? Like if there's there's over an acre and a half like is that not a an amazing opportunity for students to kind of like get their hands dirty and get into the soil and was this not the case so yeah they have um they have heart heart cultural um 
student body down there or what you got like a group but um, they could never really you know it's hard because the main season for growing is summer and the students are off and then okay. when winter rolls around nothing really grows and you know nobody has an interest so to try and balance that out it was very difficult for the students to stay engaged and not to make, they weren't getting much mm. for the return because the ground was so bad early on well, mm. I'm working directly with DCU now to try and create a, a student engagement program and a community engagement program. And um, brilliant. Yeah, you have to have structure for people because they're focused on those studies. They want to get out. They want to get some return straight away. Like they want to come away with a head of lettuce in a day. You know, so they, they they don't have the patience. But if you have something you can you can show them and it's already executed, then you know you can spark that in them. And I've had plenty of students come down. Um, they're doing all different types of projects and we can, you know, liaise with them and there's just students in engineering doing energy programs and all that. So it has so much scope. But yeah, we're working on Brilliant. that. Brilliant. Do, you feel, do you feel like the interest is growing? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Like, like we've had a bit of a kick now with, with the pandemic and like we had the UK leaving the, the European market. So access to stuff in Ireland, you know, the imports, are killing people you know the we got the import duties we have shortage of everything like we've had mm. um seed suppliers um not being able to send stuff across to us so people are more interested never of where their food comes from you know for many reasons and one of them is like you're, you're saying that it's sign of the times as well Um, you know something usually gets so bad like the food system has to get so bad bad before there's a renaissance you know it's the same with anything mm. 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 yeah so, so who who are the gnomes introduce us yeah, so because uh, myself, I would be the business manager, and you know the the guy who creates the plans and tries to get them to work. <laughs> <laughs> the CEO. <laughs> yeah, I've got two younger brothers. Um, let me see, Raymond. He's um, he, he was a qualified mechanic, but um, he decided to join us because he wanted to get out the fresh air. Like me, he wanted to get away from mechanics and oil and all that sort of stuff. So he's two yeah. years younger than me, and he's. Brilliant with his hands. You give him any tool, he can make anything. And then I've got it, the younger brother, Shane. He's uh, 24 this month. So he was he was trained actually by Mr. Ireland. So he, he's a neighbor of ours. He won the Mr. Ireland competition, I think it was 92 or 95. So he was okay. trained in bodybuilding. So he, physique is unreal. No. Yeah. So yeah. if we didn't have him in the early days, we'd be lost. So he was, <laughs> yeah, he was only the muscle man. 16 or 17 and the strength and stamina so we needed that and then the fourth uh, member is a childhood friend of the three of ours which is uh, Jason Ward so he was the guy who got me the position on these in DC originally so the two of okay. us we, we struggled on very early on and yeah he, he started and did any of you have a background in farming or was this completely new for you completely new none of us had a background in farming it's like I suppose any business you know if you have a yeah, we have a desire and you want to make it happen, you can do it. You know, it's just 90% of the work is done internally before you even start your business, I think. And that's what we've learned over the last mm. few years. Mm. Mm. Can I ask you, because we spoke to Brian in Cork Rooftop Farm a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And he was saying that since he started, because he doesn't come from a farming background either. And since he started his, you know, urban farm, he's talking about it like urban farming, same as yourself. Yeah. Uh, he's got a huge drive now to 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 get out and live on a farm 
Yeah. How, how are you? Are you? Are you happy in Dublin? Or are you also feeling the same urge to get out of the city and and live a little bit more yeah, in nature? I did feel like that maybe about a year or two ago. Was I want to go out into the sticks? I want my own land. I want my own peace, chickens. You know, it, it does. It, it does have a kind of an idyllic, tranquil feel to it. You know, but um, <laughs> I still have that engineer kicking me. You know, I love technology. You know, I, I word and stuff up. We've got custom built stuff here. When you start tying agriculture with usable engineering sorry one sec dog's asleep on him <laughs> sorry when you, start, <laughs> when you start um when you start putting uh, agriculture together with engineering purpose-built stuff not removing humans from the equation you know there's a lot of innovations that can be brought in and hmm. you, you don't kind of walk away but then you kind of say okay well how do you improve the situation that you have in in a city you know so what can you do to what's where's the context here how can you start solving problems where does agriculture meet engineering? Where does that meet mm. modern living, you know? So mm. I'm, I'm a problem solver by nature. I, I love looking at these things. So one, it would be nice to go to the countryside. I think I'd get bored, you know? Mm. I think that's it. Uh, and I suppose that's the reality of urban farming as well, is that you're you're in a city. like, yeah. And I guess that, that's important. What other important things have you found um, being a farm right in the middle of the ur- urban community? What... What has that given basically to to your neighbors? Yeah, so originally does that question make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, like what can you offer outside the vegetables? Like mm. Yeah. What are your customers really buying? Yeah, exactly. What are they really buying? And uh, you hear added value a lot. Like my forte is not marketing and sales. So that's mm-hmm. so when we got into that, it was just like we would show up at a table and people thought we were chancers, <laughs> you know. So it's just like mm-hmm. what are you selling? You know, so after a few years you kinda you have to learn what marketing and sales is. And not, it's not yeah. necessarily, you know, selling something people doesn't want, you know, it's, it's understanding mm-hmm. that you're, you're perfect. Your ideal customer is, is, is somebody that, you know, loves what you're doing and they're interested in what mm-hmm. you're doing. And it's not just the veg, it's the whole package. So people want to know where mm-hmm. it's coming from, who's growing it, you know, how it's grown, why does it taste better? And then you start saying, you've got a piece of land there. People go, I want to visit the farm. I want to see mm-hmm. the soil. I want to see all these things. So just, there really is a lot to offer you know it's agriculture is the foundation of civilization really you know so it's it's mm-hmm. our roots and then um, our mental health responds to it you know subconsciously even when we're in nature you know we're walking around in the forest or we're out on a farm straight away you feel uplifted you know so there's a lot to offer mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. our customers they love that yeah and have you had just people down the street just calling in and and having a chat and a look around and have they been inspired by what you're doing absolutely yeah like i've got I've got friends from the last few years, like their 60s, 70s, 80s. And these guys are phenomenal shape. So not to mention what we've done in the garden, which is great for your health. These guys like are old, you know, but I've got a friend, a Joey, 75 this month. And this guy is what the- he's flexible, he's strong, he's pushing the wheelbarrow and he loves coming down to help us. And then we, uh, stop. How did Joe get involved? I just met him at the market one day. He just came over and we started uh, chatting. And he's like, I want to see your garden. You know, and I'm like, come on down. So he came down and uh, he hasn't, it's like, that's been about, I think, two or three years now. Go away. And how often does he help you? It's every day. Like, he's down there every day. That's that's his day out, you know. That's amazing. Is there many more people like Joe who help you out? Absolutely, yeah. There's, there's Paddy. This is Joe's senior. So Joe was like, oh, the old guy, I'm 70 odd, I know everything, you know. So he softened up just by meeting us. 
And uh, <laughs> Paddy that comes down, he's 84, I think. And uh, okay. this guy, he goes out walking every day, he'd come down, he'd bring us, you know, um, apple tarts and stuff. There he's there, lads. You know, I'm out for me walking. He'd get a bit of veg off us. And uh, he loves it. This is woofing at a new level. Like. Absolutely, yeah. We're <laughs> 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 tying it back. <laughs> Marty, just to kind of confirm the specifics here, but how does the business actually work? Like, what are you doing? Is it a CSA model, subscription? Can you explain to us what your kind of week is in terms of how you're getting your stuff out there? Yeah, well, like I said, I was terrible at sales and marketing. So it's just like, let's show up to the farmer's market and see how much we could sell. And that's mm. that was it at the start. And then when we started to learn, you know, about, about all of that, we have kind of, we have the diversification is what I've learned is the best way for, for this type of farming until you establish yourself. So we have a farmer's market, we have a subscription model. So people are signed up with us. Now there's some people that like to do it every week. Some people like to do it every second week. Some people like to do it once a month, you know, so they sign up with mm-hmm. us and then we, you know, we work out the frequency, frequency with them. And then with our microgrids, we work out subscriptions on them because you know, we only do them grow to order because you can, it's very easy to run into issues there if you don't do them grow to order because mm. there's so much seed being used. It's a void cost and yet we're heating the room as well. So we want to make sure that that's pre-sold. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? And then we've got some customers there, cafes. Um, we were set, yeah, we're selling to Avoca as well. So we've got five stores at Avoca that they get stuff off us every week. So I contact the produce manager and they say, look, give us this every week. And I've had their customers directly contact me because we come into winter time, we're not producing because we're still kind of building up the infrastructure. And uh, they turn around and says, I can't get your salad leaves anywhere. Why are they in stock today? You know, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. sorry, we're not, we're not producing. It's December, you know, and you do feel terrible. Like you want to have it available for them all the time. But that's, it's good feedback for us. And uh, yeah, so we've, and let me see a couple of independent stores as well. So I think there's about seven stores, CSA model, or a variation of that, and then farmer's market and home deliveries. Goodness me, it sounds like you're very busy. Jeez, you have a lot going on. And who, who's with you kind of full-time? Who's who's part of the, the core team? Yeah, so the, the, the season, it kind of, it, let me see, we're, so I'm working on the website now in January, so it, it doesn't stop all year round, really. There's always something mm-hmm. to do. And if you don't keep, you know, you don't keep at it, you got to keep pushing ahead. So mm-hmm. the main season will probably start February, March. we start the Rexall with the seeds in the ground and then once you start harvesting that's it every week so monday tuesday wednesday you're harvesting you're washing your packet you're getting everything ready then and then selling then you know home deliveries and stuff so there's four of us in total my two brothers they do home deliveries so they're Thursday, friday and then myself and jason we do the uh, farmer's market and um, mm. so yeah a focus ground because they have a central distribution so we can just deliver to one spot and that goes out to their five stores all right okay Amazing. Yeah. So there. How, how long have you been with Avoca? That's a that's a big deal, no? Yeah, it was like they approached us. That was word of mouth. So somebody bought mm. at the farmers market and recommended it to them. You know, so mm. farmers markets are the place to start for anybody. But uh, that's about three years now. I think it's very early on, maybe two years. We were with Airbnb as well until you know COVID kind of screwed, yeah. screwed them over. You know, so we were selling into there. They had a, a head office there on the docks. And they were like, yeah. oh, okay. you guys couldn't be more local. Just give us wherever. They, they bought everything of us. So they yeah. had their own. They had a Michelin star chef there producing for um, with our staff. So we went there. We met the chef. and We met everybody. And it was 
Scrooge McDuck kind of territory. They had red wine on tap. You know, these people were living life. <laughs> <laughs> they really were. Yeah, but they're living the life because of your vegetables. Let's not, you know. <laughs> yeah. You were giving them all the healthy yeah. and nutritious um, needs kids. that they needed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it was, it was Do you think... Do do you think farming um is a is a good career for young people to get into? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> no, realistically, why why do you say that? It takes it takes a lot of character. It really does. Like, like I'd say, I I don't know many times I nearly gave up because it's just so difficult. Because the information, access to a good mentor, all these things have got to come first. If you start jumping in and start growing stuff, fine. It's very mm. very quick and get out of hand. Very quick, you're not making any money, you know, because it's difficult to make money because once you grow the vegetables, you have to actually get them to market. And once you get them to market, the customer has to be satisfied with them. So there's yeah. a whole different, there's a whole different ball game there. And a lot of producers, their produce goes off very quickly. So you have to understand mm. handling techniques. You have to understand how the product lasts. Like our salad leaves would last up to two weeks and we've had them last even three and four weeks. And that's due to the process. And that's getting them in, taking what's called the field heat off them. Dunk on the meat. Make sure you go below five degrees, and that has to be done religiously. You can't miss that. Mm. You miss that if you've lost the crop, you've lost mm -hmm. sales for the week. You know, so you, you have to be on point with that. So you have to be precise, especially if you're going to scale it in any way, and especially mm. if you're on only quarter acre. If you have more space, if if you can plant out more stuff and it can go to waste, we're not in a position to waste mm -hmm. anything, you know. And and mm -hmm. that's down to the planning as well. So the planning has to be precise. So you have to know all mm. the different you know, seasonality of your crops when to plant them. And that changes across the year. So if you plant lettuce in mm. February, it takes longer than I say if you plant it in June. So you have to make sure mm. you have all that information. Over the last few years, we've just been gathering information, putting it into the computer, putting it into spreadsheets, saving all that. Mm. And uh, you have to have all that stuff. So mm. I'd say when we start offering, I suppose, training courses, it would make the learning curve a lot easier. Um, mm. And if anybody's really interested, they can make anything happen. It really is. Like mm. you are what you eat. You can, you are what you think, and you can make anything happen. You really can. It kind of sounds like the information's out there, but it is just not easily accessible and not delivered in a in an effective way. You know. Yeah, yeah. But... and you mentioned something there, Marty. You mentioned a mentor. Yeah. And in a way, I can nearly see you guys being mentors for other young people who might be interested, or or anybody for that matter, who might be interested in your area in this type of farming. Really, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um. I wonder, right, if you were to kind of like, how long are you going? Is it four years now? We see, we registered in 2019, so yeah, three years, four years. Yeah, we started in 2019, three, three, three and a half. Yeah, if you could close your eyes and kind of do this kind of time travel shift where you went back <laughs> right to the start, right? Okay, what would, and, and you're your own mentor now to yourself. What would you have done differently than you were first starting out? Ask for help, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help. I'm a stubborn type of character, at least I was. So I was just like, no, I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to do it my way. And then, you know, but yeah, just ask for help. That was that would be mm -hmm. the key number one piece of advice. Um, like there's, there's places around that help with setting up business. There's help there for bookkeeping, all of these things, you know. And I'm, I went off on like study bookkeeping as well. So you, you just keep at it, you know, and I just... I just keep at it. But you're only one person. You've only got so many hours in the day. So you have to, you know, you have mm. to stick to the things that are important and, and people want to talk to you. So if you were standing on a stall mm. there and you're, you've got numbers going back ahead for your book, you have to do this later, have to do that later, you know, stick to, stick to a few things, you know, learn delegation, learn how to work in a team, 
because it's very easy to isolate yourself and it's very easy to uh, try and do everything yourself. And mm. if you want to be impactful mm. and you want to make things, you know, last, well then you have to make sure you're looking after yourself, your health and all of that, you know, eat right. Mm. Like all them things, like they're the most important things before you even get into business, your health, your mental health, what you're eating, making sure you get up in the morning, make sure you continue to do what you're doing, making sure you have the right affirmations, you know, you're making sure your mind is strong mm. because like mm. most businesses fail in two years and that's not down to the business model. That's down to the person. Well, mm. I, I, I truly believe that. Well, yeah, ask for help and then, uh, yeah, don't be afraid. What's your favorite vegetable? <laughs> oh, I can't choose. <laughs> <laughs> you said I like That's a very tough question. Tomatoes, garlic. <laughs> I love somewhere, yeah, when I get a uh, fresh tomatoes, garlic and basil, I just little bit of bruschetta. Uh, yeah, break me own bread and everything. <laughs> do you? I do. My God. My God, you're so mad. <laughs> Nobody, Jolene, what's your favorite vegetable? Um, it that it's just a very difficult question. I th yes. I think probably whatever whatever is most in season is probably the nicest thing you can get. Like. <laughs> so, it, isn't it really? Yeah. Like if you get something straight out of the ground and put it into your mouth, that's that's incredible. It doesn't matter what you're reading. Yeah, like. yeah. A, a shocking one for me would. Uh, that's a very kind of like broad answer now, but yeah. Like the winter squash, on seasonality is is key here. I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because people do go through, go through their cycles. If you notice that people, they don't want like when you start coming into say September or October, they don't want salads. You know, they want yeah, potatoes, yeah, yeah. they want soup, they want stew, they you want, want happy yeah, stuff, yeah. turnips and stews <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. Beetroot, I love beetroot now this time of year. Oh God, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> Will I tell yeah. you a bit of a sad story? So Marty, you might not know this, but I, I emigrated. <clears throat> I married an Italian and I, I live in Italy now with, with Italian children and everything. Is, is, that, uh, is that where you are now? Yeah, yeah, I'm in Northern Italy now. Oh, very nice. Um, and I would have said this before I left, but I think my favourite vegetable is parsnips. Hmm. And you can't get parsnips here. <laughs> it's one of the only things you can't get. Now, Serena, Marty will sort that out for you now and my send them incredible out wife did find That's something they call it. That, uh, they call it the rap It kind of looks like um, a daikon radish, like really big, long type of parsnip, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, she found them for me, and they're they're very good, but like they're not they're not Irish parsnips, you know. Yeah, but like Italy have a lot to offer, don't they? Like the leave a huge amount of I tell you what's amazing about vegetables in Italy is whether you buy commercially in the supermarket, yeah, what they would refer to as imported, and what that means is it just comes from another part of Italy, yeah. But you know, um, the kind of like long distance, uh, in ma mass industrialized vegetable shopping, yeah, you still eat by the seasons, yeah, like they don't sell oranges past February, mm. you know. And they don't, it, it's not available. And the whole veg shop and the whole veg aisle in the supermarket changes every three months. And for them, even the most basic choosing, discerning customer that really doesn't care too much about what they're eating would never dare buy something out of season. Yeah. You know, like I've noticed, yeah, when we're doing the farmer's market, a lot of our customers are foreigners and they're the guys that are they have a great connection with the food. The like Eastern European, mm. they know yeah. good food. You know, they're coming up yeah. to our market and they're like, oh, this, this is what we, like, 
they're not too far away like from from growing you know we're a generation or two now away from the farm as, as we say like these guys are like their parents grew all their vegetables yeah and yeah. we've got mm. italian customers they've got a great connection with their food you know mm. we've we've kind of lost that to it to a certain degree you know we're, we love going to restaurants and we love getting out and we have you know just eat is 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 rampant you know like it, it's yeah, so crazy know, you know yeah. Well, uh, mm. yeah, that connection with the food, Italy is, I'd say, is, is fantastic. Not to mention mm. you have Parmigiano. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Why, why, why do you think we're in this situation in Ireland that we've lost this connection? Well, it's it's the changing of the economy, I think. You know, people are training in different areas. You know, they get busy. Mm. You know, life gets in the way. You know, you don't have that same mm. connection with the food. You're, you're, we have a, what do you call it, a high-tech kind of training. You know, we've got We've got an Intel here. We've got a lot of big companies. Mm. You know, people want a good job. They want a good paying job, you know. You're going to lose sight of what, what true value is. Making a lot of money, mm. but they're making poor decisions. It's not how much you're making. It's what you're taking home and it's what you're doing with it. So, yeah, I think it's, it's just mm. a bit of a disconnection. It's it's a generational thing. Mm. People move on. And what when you say they've lost sight of true value, what do you think true value is? Well, we've we've kind of reestablished that now over the last few years, haven't we? And it's, you know, family, friends, staying mm. together. You know, it's not eating out. Eating out is not important as as being together. You know, mm. and it's 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 not about going to the restaurant. It's about you know what type of food you're eating. You know, there's mm. there's nutritionists there online, and they're talking about what type of nutrition the body needs. And um, mm. yeah, people are looking. There's a bit. There is um. There is a trend towards that. People want to know what they're putting into their bodies now. You know, it's not just mm. a, a January thing, you know, it's, it's January around again. People are going to the gyms, you know, so it, I've noticed that with the farmer's market, there's, there was more customers at the farmer's market because um, people wanted to be out fresh air, you know, they wanted to be out and about, they're mm. not worried about their health, you know. Mm. So once you start, yeah. once the doors open, people start asking about their health. It's like, well, how far, how far misguided have I been, you know, you know, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, yeah. like McDonald's is okay once in a while isn't it you know or, or i don't mind getting a chip or a curry or something like this like everything is fine in moderation but like there's people who live on that stuff and then you see them coming to the farmer's market and then we have a chat and they're like wow you know like there's so there's some people that are so disconnected there's some people that are asking questions and those people that are on the ball it's just it's, it's an individual thing really but i think the trend is going that way people want to know more about their food and why we don't have access mm. to more irish food you know mm. It sounds if um, there is that type of support and enthusiasm from people in urban communities that, you know, urban farming has a qu- quite a positive um, and optimistic future. I suppose it's kind of coming down to support, really, isn't it, for getting these farms off the ground? What kind of support do you think that we should have? Yeah, uh, support, education, number one, um, hmm. education, definitely. Like I wouldn't put anybody on a farm, looking back now, anybody near a farm without with some education, like saw a couple of weeks, just getting the basics down, identification and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Obviously, and what about the space itself? What about actually getting those those plots of land? Like, how difficult is that? And is there any way maybe the council could um, could help with that? Yeah. Well, let me see. So, there's like you go to Google Map and you just see Dublin. There's just plenty of green spaces. Yeah, there's loads of space. There's yeah, loads of space. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah, it's not the problem. And if you were to go to the council, you have to have a fully formulated kind of idea. Like we've, in the very early days, there was a friend of ours and uh, he'd be in his 40s now. And he was 
trying to get off the ground something similar to what we're doing. And he'd be talking mm-hmm. to institutions and he'd be saying, look, this is what we want to get done. But um, it was never able to kind of get everything together on paper. So mm-hmm. it depends on the personality you're kind of dealing with. If you can't convince them, they're not, they're not going to be interested. And the mm-hmm. proof is really in the pudding. So I knew early on when, when DCU had this bit of land that if we didn't make the best of it, then there wouldn't really be much much of an opportunity in Dublin. So if we can create kind of a model there and, you know, something that people can be inspired to do, well, then I'd say there'd be more inclination towards, you know, from the councils and stuff. They'd be more interested to, well, it's already been proven, you know, mm. that type of way. So we with DCU, that's a great thing. So we have access to Dublin City Council there. So once we have all our plans formalized, we can say, look, we have, we have engagement, we have all these sorts of things. If you were to take this onto another acre site somewhere or even a half an acre, and it could be completely, mm. you know, community run, as they call them, angry woods mm. in America. And it, it would be a fantastic <laughs> setup, you know, you can have a couple of people yeah. looking after it and it'd be engaging with people can have their own veg. And yeah, like it is, it's definitely a missing aspect. Hmm. And um, what's your radius of people you're feeding? Would you say the majority of your veg is being eaten within five kilometers of your farm? Yeah, well, we are, we only offer delivery within the M50. So if you can, if you see Dublin map, doesn't it? You know, the M50, that kind of cools around mm-hmm. it. So we only mm-hmm. offer delivery within that. And that would be, yeah, that would be about five, five, ten kilometers. But I'm amazed how far we get requests from. But we get a load of requests from Wicklow and Wexford. And even, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can you guys deliver? And I'm like, no, you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> can you yeah. collect? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you collect more like? Can you can a little bit. But uh, no, there's, um, there's loads of scope. Like, we think about, we're only a quarter acre. Like, we can only do, if you're to work around, probably so like much. 50, 60 subscriptions. And that's with a fine-tuned kind of crop plan, like mostly salads. So mm-hmm. you can have a little farm next door and we can have customers that never meet. Like, there's, mm-hmm. there's a million people in Dublin. There's huge scope. Mm. you know can we ask you quickly about Dublin like compared to like when you started 2019 yeah compared to now what do you think the food situation is in Dublin in terms of other people like yourself who are getting going whether it's growing veg but also other types of production other types of proper naturally made foods yeah. whether it's breads or something like that yeah. how's Dublin going is it on the right track um I'm not too sure to be honest with you um I'm kind of I've got the blinkers on where our own business, you know, I'm not really looking at what other people are doing, but I know, I know there's um, a lot of other food produced, like whether it's honey or raw milk or um, mm. anything that's, that's just local and it's good quality, you know, people mm. ask for at the farmer's market, the farmer's market that we're at, you know, the honest to goodness. And then um, if you go inside, you can see the products changing over the last few years, you know, the, the, mm. the market operator there, Brit, she's a, uh, looking for stuff to stock you know so she would have stuff on her raw milk and uh, she was getting veg off us as well that was available you know so you've seen that trend kind of change from um from imported veg or anything like that people do want local mm. stuff well na- neighbor foods have done a great job with getting people connected to their food and um yeah yeah we definitely need more of that because mm. uh, you know with the with the platform you know people can browse through everything you know and uh, a lot of farmers and small producers they're isolated you know the communication's not great because they're so focused on their own business it's difficult mm. to even take on 
but like at, at my background is IT and engineering so so this stuff was was okay for us to kind of adopt there's a lot of people that don't have that background or they're not kind of mm. tech savvy and even if you kind of make it as easy for them as possible it's like they still have to sit on a computer you know and they still have to put the products mm. up you know so it is it is is it is a bit of, bit of a conundrum and how has technology helped your business oh well the best thing that i've came across with technology is automation um online automation so i use a product or a program called zapier so mm -hmm. so yeah. we're using that we've got a form online that will take it directly to our um to our, our stripe you know so that, that's maybe, maybe explain what zapier is for somebody who doesn't yeah, know yeah. so if somebody was to fill out our form online so they put their name and their address and the products that they choose zapier will automatically take that from one website to another and auto fill the other um form so you don't have to do all mm -hmm. manually you don't have to put in the name and the address and all these things so that saves a heck of mm -hmm. a lot of time and i'm going to be integrating that more with you know email lists and stuff taking all that information because mm -hmm. it's all about getting as much data as you can you know because if you don't have that you don't have reach and you don't have audience and you're right on social media and um it's good, you know, like all the tools in the chest, you know, you have to have all these different aspects. But uh, having your own tools, having your own software solutions, that's yeah. the way to go. Well, you and I definitely need to touch base about the different types of softwares that we can do for um, for growers anyway, because that's what we spend our whole time talking about. Yeah, absolutely. M Marty, yeah. Thank you so much for talking to us. I think I think we covered everything. Jolene, do you have anything else you want to add? Yeah, lovely, lovely little insight into what you're doing. And um, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks yeah. So much for asking me on. It's, it's been a pleasure. It's, it was nice to meet you, Jolene. It's good to see you, Jack. So that's a wrap for this week. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, Jolene. Thanks to Marty. Thanks to the Gnomes. Thanks to DCU. Thanks to January. Thanks to the Next Generations. Thanks to the Neighbourhood Podcast listeners. And thanks to Peter Broderick for the music. <laughs> Didn't miss anyone. <laughs> thanks for being alive. You could thank my daughter for going to sleep and being able to actually write, record this podcast. <laughs> thank you.